for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. That's What's up, fam? Welcome back to Building Without a Blueprint. I am your host, Princeton Parker. I'm so excited to be here with you again. I'm so excited that you tuned in. I'm thankful to God for life and love, and I'm thankful to you for listening. This is super huge. The month that we're in is we're continuing to celebrate Black history. I know that if you're back again, it's probably because you enjoyed last week and what we're doing this month. It's all about centering Black women, their accomplishments, their stories, their narratives, what it means to be a Black woman, and kind of unpacking the ways in which Black women are definitely those who are building without a blueprint. And so we want to just take time this whole month to highlight some really great stories and people who you may not know who are building without a blueprint. So last week we featured the incredible Dr. Professor Danielle Roseboro. And today, I want to introduce you to somebody incredibly special who is somebody who is young and building without a blueprint in the realm of business. And so last week we focused on education. This week we want to look at uh, black women who build in the area of business and entrepreneurship. As we prepare to kick into this episode with somebody who I'll introduce in a second, I wanted to look back because we want to be able to hold in both hands stories and narratives of the days of old. And we also want to hold in the other hand, what we like to call or what I like to call living history. Dr. Rosebro talked about that last week about being able to acknowledge living history and current stories that have weight and have value But let's look back in the past. I want to talk about a name that you might not have heard from a business perspective. This name, the one and only Annie Malone. That's right. Annie Minerva Turnbow Malone. Annie Malone is an incredible figure. When I began to research, I was like, I want to know about more black women in business. Surely there are several that we may not have heard about. I know that I wasn't taught about them. Typically, when we think about business, we think about men and we think about white men at that. And even when we start to have the narrative about being in business or entrepreneurship, even in the black community, we immediately go to those black male names. And as I began to do research, the one that came to mind automatically was Madam C.J. Walker, which you've probably heard about. But before Madam C.J. Walker, there was Annie Malone. Now, Miss Annie Malone, was four years younger than Madam C.J. Walker, but she had gotten into the beauty care industry probably about maybe two to three years before Madam C.J. Walker did. In fact, Madam C.J. Walker kind of worked as an ambassador or as kind of a, a worker of Annie Malone's company and college at that time. So I think it is super cool. And the reason why I think it's cool is because we see that the beauty industry is one of the biggest industries right now. And we, as people of color, continue to, like we do for so many industries, kind of make that up, not just from a consumer perspective, but from a creation standpoint. We have seen that major brands do not do justice for communities of color. We have seen it time and time again that major fashion brands and major beauty brands, whether they are not in tune with the language, the culture, the the needs for 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 color and for texture. We've seen that time and time again from makeup brands, from hair brands, from fashion lines for both men and women. And so I think it is easy for us to get caught up in that and lose sight of the fact that 
we are not new to this. <laughs> There's a preacher who says, I'm not new to it. I'm true to it. Annie Malone represents that even before the days of the things that we celebrate today, like Carol's Daughter and other beauty lines, we have always kind of sought out how to make products that were for us and by us. And Annie Malone is the queen of that. If you have ever gotten your hair pressed, if you've ever used any product that was built for our hair and, and our texture and what we wanted to do from a beauty perspective, we owe that credit to Annie Malone. She founded what was called Poro College. So originally what she did was she had some experience in chemistry. And so she started making her own product, <laughs> similar to the stories of so many influencers today that were like, hey, I couldn't find something for my hair the way I wanted to do it. She, at that time, wanted to particularly deal with straightening hair and the products that were available or the processes you had to go and they was using all kinds of stuff from the field and butter and, and some stuff that she was just like, look, fam. Ain't nobody got time for that. She had some experience in chemistry, began to make her own product, and she started selling it door to door. Eventually, she moved to St. Louis. And in St. Louis, there was a very, very, very large black population. She began to develop these products and sell them door to door. And what was interesting was her business model was you can like train and recruit people who know how to sell the product as well. So you make it, but have multiple salespeople. If you'll think about how that kind of plays with like, I'm thinking Mary Kay, we're thinking Avon, we're thinking that model way back in the late 1800s. So she really was a rock star without getting too much to take up time because I want to get into this interview. Some things to note about her is that she founded what was called Poro College, which was essentially a place where they could train other people in beauty care for African-Americans. Like, how do you learn about it? How do you sell it? And records have it that more than 75,000 people Come on, fam. 75,000 people were trained through this college to this training center that she developed for people to know how to discuss this product, what the needs were and how to sell it. That's crazy. She was a multimillionaire. I read somewhere that noted this statistic that at one point she might have paid like 46 grand in taxes for herself, like a black woman in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who owned a business training and developing had a product that was marketed across the country and even abroad in other countries is really kind of like the mother and founder of what we know to be the beauty care industry, particularly beauty care industry for us by us. Sister owned queen owned a Rolls Royce was just on a whole nother level and then influence people like Madam CJ Walker, who we are familiar with. So just kind of getting exposure. Like I'm, I'm hoping to educate as I learn, like the beauty of doing stuff like this is that it forces us or anybody with a platform or a mic or whatever you have to interrogate like, yo, there are gaps in my history. There are names that I don't know that weren't told to me and I want to go get those and, and share it. So that's the one and only Miss Annie Malone. So in that same vein, there is somebody who is building without a blueprint and she and I got the chance to sit down and record this episode last year, actually. And I held on to it because I was just like, ah, this is so good. And I originally thought I was going to do it as a series on millennials in business. And I still might want to do that. But as I was going back and re-listening to this episode, I realized that it was so perfect to highlight because so much of our conversation was about not just her work in entrepreneurship, but her work in entrepreneurship and how that experience is unique for her as a black woman. This episode is going to feature the one and only Emily Roundtree. Emily Roundtree is the founder um, of Nails by Kovan, which is a mobile nail salon that is absolutely dope. It is so gorgeous. And she's going to tell you more about how it came to be and what they do. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to my friend, the one and only Emily Roundtree, who is a black woman building in the realm of business and entrepreneurship. You're going to love this. Stay tuned. Here we go. Black women who build. Wow. 
Family, here we are again. This is Princeton Parker. Uh, welcome to Building Without a Blueprint. As I say always, I want to thank God for life and love, and I want to thank you for listening. Check this. You picked a super dope episode to tune in, and I'm going to tell you why, because I have the privilege of sitting at the table with someone who truly inspires me, who is a game changer right now in the world of entrepreneurship and in the realm of social change, and y'all are just about to be amazed She is the founder of an incredible business, as we've been talking about business in this series, called Nails by Colvin. She's been featured by some epic publications uh, like InStyle, Pinterest, Nails Magazine, E-Online, Refinery29, Racked LA, Circa, Forbes is coming, just some huge stuff. And I'm honored to not just call her an inspiration, but to also be able to call her friend. Please welcome to Building Without a Blueprint, the one and only Miss Emily Roundtree. Hi. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming to hang out with me. This is super dope. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm truly honored and just flattered that you even thought of me to come on here. So I'm excited. Yeah, these are always huge because just to give everybody listening some background, I met Emily. We went to USC together and I've got to shout out my big bro, Garrett, Mm -hmm. who is Emily's husband, who was my very first roommate and a little Princeton background. I sheltered kid, lived at home my entire life and then went to SC and like moved into an apartment, didn't know who my roommate was going to be. And like, I was nervous. I'd heard like horrible stories about like (laughs) college roommates. And uh, I walked in and there's just this like tall brother with amazing hair who was just (laughs) at the crib when I moved in and um and he saw sure me I was there too and you were day. there too that that very same day we met both of you guys and my mom because she followed me everywhere Love your mom. <laughs> shout out to your mom and so <laughs> we were moving in and I remember all it took when Gary saw I brought the keyboard we, that was just that was the end of it that was just how it happened and and so this is super cool I think it's dope when you see people make it in general it's even more dope when you see your friends make it like when you see people and you two are honestly y'all have always been dope like this is not new but I think the two of you all are two of the most humble people that I've like ever met in my entire life and so this is cool we're just about to sit and chop it up and learn about how you be dope essentially so so much (laughs) talk to me about um, obviously like we have the history of having gone through college together Mm -hmm. but for people who are just now meeting you who is Emily Roundtree how do you define yourself what do you want people to know about you so I consider myself a creative first so since I was little I've always been a creative person like one time my dad walked in and I had put like rhinestones all over my television I've always been into drawing and crafty and so I just think that a huge part of who I am as a person has to do with the need to constantly be creating something new and using that creative side of me. Hmm. I grew up in a family. Both of my parents are engineers. My dad went to USC, which is the school that we both graduated from. And, you know, so I've always had a business side to me, too, where I looked at my parents do very cool jobs and build this, like, intense software for the companies that they were working in. And my dad always taught me the importance of financial literacy and knowing about the business side of things, but deep inside of me was always a creative. Yeah. So I'd like to say that the reason why I do what I do or like why my job is the perfect fit for me is because I get to sort of utilize both sides of me, which is the creative side and also the business side, which, you know, you can't really make money being a creative if you don't have any business (laughs) side to you. So, yeah, I don't know if that was That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. I think... When most people define themselves as as creatives, they feel afraid because they are pigeonholed right into mm-hmm. the into exactly what you just said. Like this idea that creatives are flighty, like they don't make any money, um, they're never quote unquote like settled, or, or all of the stereotypes that we get for many of our generation. Like that's who we are at heart. We mm-hmm. were raised around creatives. How were you able to? to kind of get to that point where you held both like the creative and the business, because there are some people who would reject calling themselves creatives because of the stereotypes that come along with that. So how did you Mm -hmm. reject the stereotypes to be like, no, I am a creative and that's okay. And I'm going to learn the business. Right. So when I went to USC and studied business, I really understood the concepts they were trying to teach us, but I felt a lack of creativity. I Mm -hmm. felt like you're trying to learn 
prediction and projections and all these things. And I realized that there was a gap where like you weren't learning about the creative process and the also like a lot of the analytical things that come along with creating something new. So I joined the entrepreneurship program at USC and that was the first time I started to feel like I was learning a little bit more about creativity and how to use my creativity in a space where I can create something that I can use both my business and creativity and it all makes sense in the real world. When I met my husband, he, you know, my husband is a full-time Designer and mm-hmm. a musician, a very dope um, musician, very by dope the way, musician. and artist. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I feel like it wasn't until I met him that I truly understood that creativity—you can be a creative person, and that could be your purpose in life—is <laughs> yeah. to be a creative person. Because I've always felt like creativity was kind of like, oh, I can do that on the side, but I may need to make sure I get my business degree and get a good job and do these things but I realized none of these businesses can thrive without the creative people so like no one Mm -hmm. even a company you look at McDonald's you wouldn't have the same experience with McDonald's if they didn't have a logo that drew you into that Mm -hmm. company they had to be a creative person who created that you know and so I realized that when I started to accept that creativity can can stand alone in its value Mm -hmm. and you can use that and I learned that from my husband being like Okay, so when you graduate, you're going to be an artist. Like that's like that's the plan. (laughs) And he's just like, yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And I know that I can do something similar Mm -hmm. and kind of merge, you know, my two backgrounds and like what both business and being a creative. Yeah, and I think I think that's so huge that a lot of people have never seen an example of someone who stood confidently in that and said, you know what? I am an artist, period. Not like Mm -hmm. I am, I'm going to be a doctor because my parents want me to and I'll just do music on the side or Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, get this, whatever this standard nine to five might look like because they're afraid of fully walking in true freedom of just being like, hey, Mm -hmm. I can build a life and through my purpose of of being artistic. What would you say to someone who is in the place struggling right now? They have lived under the pressure of that mom or that dad that has said, hey, you need to do this because our family does this. And they have interest to launch a business that nobody's ever heard of before. They have a passion to jump into art, to design. They want to go and and move somewhere completely with a dream. What would you Mm -hmm. say to that person that, hey, they've got their degree and they're struggling with the pressures of playing it safe and this expectation that you can only do this, How, what would you say to them to help get them free? I would say that you absolutely have to follow your gut and be true to who you are as a person. Um, our parents, they love us so much that they, if they don't understand something or mm-hmm. understand where you're trying to go with something, they'll try to shield you from it. So oftentimes we take it very personally when our parents don't support our dreams or when you feel like no one understands, you know, what you feel your purpose is. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing is just to show those people that you know what you're talking about. Just be confident in yourself and what, you know, your ideas and your dreams are and go for it because you'll never really be happy or fulfilled if you follow someone else's dreams for you. You have to really do what you feel in your heart you're meant to do because everyone has their own purpose and God's given us all of our own individual purposes for what we are meant to do in this lifetime. And so if you're feeling that your purpose is what it is, even if no one understands that around you, it's your responsibility and no one else's to take that and use what you know about yourself to create a life that is feels fulfilled, you know? Yeah. And I think we all have to ask ourselves that question that I was inspired to think about when you just said that is what kind of life do you want? Like a life Mm -hmm. that meets expectation or a life that is fulfilled. And that's kind of the choice that we all, that we all sit at. Exactly. You said something I thought was dope about you were having conversations with your dad about finance, financial literacy, Mm -hmm. about business. There are many people who don't get the opportunity to have the generation before them Mm -hmm. um, set them up from a knowledge perspective, Right. right? Can you take us into those conversations like as a child like what what did they just come out of nowhere was it just like how did how did that happen and what were some things that that stuck with you that you learned early on that you were just like hey this piece of financial information stuck with me and I still apply it today you know my dad he's so funny (laughs) he's literally the way he lives his life he's always thinking his business sense is just like there it makes sense for example we go to starbucks we each want to order grande frappuccinos you know the whole family Mm -hmm. and he's like 
if you do the math, if you get a venti and just get extra cups and split it, you get more ounces for your money. Like, that's how I grew up, you know? <laughs> so my dad's been, my dad has always just lived it and just sort of, this doesn't make sense. Even if we can afford to do this, we need to think about the future. And just bringing us into those conversations as adults, even mm-hmm. though we were kids, mm-hmm. they never, my parents never like shielded us from any of the financial conversations. Hearing my dad, you know, he doesn't even know this, but since I was little, he's always had these phone calls, these conference calls where he would just kind of like lead these conversations. And I would just sit down and listen into like some of the, the way he spoke to the people that work with him. And his ideas and why certain ideas weren't a good idea financially and why certain ideas, you know, made sense. Mm -hmm. And so just like listening to my parents and just like learning from experience and from them just living, I feel like that is truly a blessing. And I know it's a really rare type of scenario to grow up in, to have both of your parents be business people and sort of be able to be a part of that career with them (laughs) where they brought us into a lot of they brought us into a lot of their conversations and a lot of their decision making that's huge so from all of that because you've obviously done extremely well like in business what are some of the top one two or three financial things that young entrepreneurs need to keep in mind so if Mm. i am listening to this and i'm in college and i unfortunately have not had a lot of conversation around finances what are one or two or three like top financial lessons that a young person needs to learn right now if they're thinking about entrepreneurship so my first thing would be start small so i learned this from my dad and i also learned this when studying entrepreneurship in school but it just people think that you need to raise like a million dollars before you can initially launch your business. But when you're launching a business, especially something that's innovative and something that's new, that's never been done before, like you say, there's no blueprint. (laughs) There really isn't. So there's no proof that you have that all that money that you're investing into your idea that it's going to work. And that's just the reality of business. You have to be adjustable and you can't really be adjustable if you're spending all of your money on just starting, you Hmm. know? So you have to start, like people say, start small. My teacher told me if you're not embarrassed by your first product that you put out, you started too late. Mm-hmm. You know, you wow. because the thing is you need to put stuff out so that people can, you can get feedback about what you're doing and adjust it to make it something that works in the market before you go and um, put all your money into one thing, wow. one idea, one aspect of your business. So I think every time I speak to someone about who, like starting a business and starting up, they always ask me like, well, how did you come up with the money? Or like, what do you do if you don't have money? But there's so many creative ways to start your idea without having to have a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. like even for me, I could start doing sending nail techs to people's houses, you know, that cost me nothing. Get your money on the back end. You know, mm-hmm. they pay yeah. them and then I take my cut. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different creative ways that you can test your ideas and get them out there without having hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. So I would say do that first to prove your idea before you even invest. And what you do invest, only invest enough that you're willing to lose. So that's like what I would say about that. And then two, I would say try to keep your overhead as low as possible, especially starting out when you don't have a consistent revenue stream yet. I know I had to learn the hard way with that one because <laughs> when I first started, I'm like, I need a phone bill. I need separate internet and separate everything. <laughs> and I was just stacking up, you know, I was like stacking up the monthly fees. So yeah. what I had coming in, it was making, it was kind of helping me out with some of those bills. But at the same time, I didn't really need all that stuff. You know, you get your mind into the idea that you need all these things to sure. be successful, but just try to keep your overhead low. Anyway, you can be creative, like maybe commission-based models work really well because you have to get paid before you pay anyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those type of models work well. Just whatever you can do to keep your overhead as low as possible so that you can be able to really stack your capital and have money to grow your business in the future. And third, hmm, what am I third? Those are like two really big ones. I think those are like the main things that I would really tell people who are starting a business. But what is the third? Oh, definitely to probably keep your personal money separate from your business money. And that also took me a while because I'm just like, you know, when you're really into your 
business, you will throw all of your personal money into it because you want it to succeed, which you're going to have to do a level of that too, but make sure that you're t- taking good notes of that and make sure that how much are you really making, like making sure you know your numbers, like how much is your business costing you versus what it's making. And then you can adjust from there, just keeping good notes and not just being like, oh, well, it's fine. I just threw all my money into that. And now you don't have money to eat because you threw everything into your business. I think that separation really helps put things into perspective. And so I would say that. Wow. <laughs> Look, if you listen to this on the car, uh, don't text notes and drive. You just go ahead and pull on over, <laughs> get your pen and pad out like I have right now. Or you don't see it, but I, or re-listen. Yeah. Re- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Go ahead and listen to this and then play it again when you get home and get out your notepad, your iPad. We are, we are straight, like school is straight in session. Like this is, this is huge. So, you identify as a creative, mm-hmm. but you happen to come up in this environment and culture of education where you are, mm. you are looking at what I'm going to call embodied business. Like some people see business, but they don't get the chance to see it embodied through a person. Like it's the same thing I think about religion. Like if you go to church, but don't see like embodied Christianity, then you mm-hmm. don't ever get exposure to it. So you're creative and then you grow up with this exposure to embodied business and financial literacy. And then you go to college and mm-hmm. you major in business and then you start to decide that entrepreneurship had that space for creativity, that Mm -hmm. just business, as you were learning, it didn't. After that, then what? How do we go from entrepreneurship program to Circa TV? I know. So literally, when I was in college, I, you know, my entrepreneurship program, they made us choose an industry. So this was at a time where I loved getting my nails done, but I stopped getting my nails done because it, you know, life hits you and you have so many things going on and you're in college and your time is limited and you're trying to do everything at once. And to me, it wasn't the most important thing in the world to always have my nails done. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I can't keep up with that, you know? So I decided that when I was really looking at the industry and looking at like, well, where can I go that's quick? Or where can I go that's affordable? Or where can I go that comes to me so I don't have to like drive and deal with traffic and parking? I really didn't see any options that really fit the bill of everything that I wanted in the salon. Mm. So that was just my personal experience in college while studying at USC. And then when I was asked to choose an industry, it was like fresh in my mind. I was like, I'm going to choose the nail industry because I really didn't know much about it. I just knew that I've been going to the nail salon since I was a little girl. I don't know how it's structured. I don't know how, you know, most nail salons operate, who gets paid what and how, you know. Mm -hmm. So I just decided I'm going to do some exploring into that industry. And um, as a project, I'm going to come up with a solution to the problem that I was facing personally because that's what they tell you you know in business school Mm -hmm. come up with a solution to a problem and that was my problem at the time so I came up with the idea to explore solutions in that industry and so when I was done with the program I did all the work I feel like I knew the industry like the back of my hand I learned that a lot of the people weren't getting paid fairly who were working there you know they were coming from different countries and they had their own internal little situations going on as far as pay and I learned that a lot of them weren't clean they weren't abiding to a lot of the rules of you know the board which is like sanitation rules so funguses were common Mm. I learned a lot of things about the industry that made me feel like even more like I needed to be in this space to create something for people like me Mm -hmm. and I felt like it was really outdated because I feel like it was made for women who like are housewives or like I don't know. It's not made for the modern day woman, I guess, in my Hmm. perspective, because I'm like, who is spending time getting their nails done hours in the nail salon when we are, you know, we're moms, we're working, we're busy, we're traveling the world, we're running the world. (laughs) And so I'm like, if as a college student, I'm feeling this to be a difficult thing to maintain and keep up with, I know that people who are doing way more than me, the CEOs and the boss ladies who are working definitely don't have time. So we need to create something that can bring these services to them or make it a better experience for them. So then I thought of the idea of having an app, which is not what I launched, but (laughs) I thought I'm like, if we had an app that was like Uber that you can kind of call someone 
to your house. Sure. You know, you can do that and they can come to you and get your nails done. So that's kind of where my idea started. And then I was like, whoa, I need to take a step back. I don't know how to build an app. Like, <laughs> this is not my space. I have to learn. I want to. So then, then I thought of the idea of like a physical space where I could create a brand and create like a, an environment, but it, we could still do a level of that delivering. So like on a much smaller scale, but like my truck came to my mind. Like I literally pictured it in my head. It was so crazy. Wow. Like I, it just hit me. And then I was like, I have to do it. Like, I've never seen it before. And it would be something that's so unique. And I can deliver services to offices. You know, we can park downstairs. We can be in weird hours, you know, lunch hours, nighttime hours, evening hours where normal salons are usually closed. And we can just move around and just kind of get to as many people as we want. So then that's how the idea of my truck came. So it just literally came out of me trying to find a solution. And that was the solution that I found that I could do at the time where I felt it was within my reach. Wow. And I literally bought the truck while I was still in college. Actually, I was in Hawaii. Garrett, <laughs> I called him from Hawaii, and I was like, go to this address, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Get the check out of my drawer. <laughs> it was like, I'm like, hurry up before they sell it, because I found the perfect truck off on Craigslist, and wow. he went and gave the check that held the truck for me, and then I came back, and I was like, okay what do we do with the truck now? <laughs> but that's how it all started. Just impulse. Wow. Yeah. And you, and you literally said, Hey, I see this truck in my mind. So now I'm just going to go on Craigslist and look for trucks. Literally it was, and it was right before, like it was probably my senior year. I think it was my senior year. So I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. I think it's the thing. Uh -huh. So I had to make a decision. You know, I was, starting to interview and nothing was really like settling with me. And I just, I was like, I don't think that I'm supposed to work at this accounting firm. Like, I just don't think that this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I kind of was optimistic that I would find something that would allow me to be a little creative and allow sure. me to um, do things. But at the same time, it was nothing like what I wanted to do <laughs> and create something of my own would, was really like what I think I'm meant to do. Mm -hmm. And so when I thought of the idea, I just wouldn't let it go. But I was like, someone is going to think of this. Like, yeah. it's going to be too late if I work for four years and then do it because it's going to be old news. Someone's going to already, I mean, I could still do it, but it mm -hmm. won't be that creative thing that I wanted to be anymore. So I was just like, I think I can do this. Like, I think I can do it now. And yeah. so I was speaking to my parents about it and they were like, okay, Emily, but still go to that interview. Like, okay. <laughs> but you know, they, but they love the idea, but it, they just thought it would be a lot for me to handle at such a young age and just jump into it. So that was me proving to myself that this is what you're going to like forcing myself to do it. Mm -hmm. Buying the truck. I, it was like all my money <laughs> and I just did it. And that was my way of committing, I guess, to the journey and starting and my whole goal was that I was going to launch by the time I graduate because I was so naive I'm like if I launch as soon as I graduate then I'm going to have all this money coming in and then I won't have to worry about getting a job sure but it didn't really I mean nothing ever works out as planned so I didn't launch right when I graduated but I had a little bit of a buffer time to figure it out and then we finally launched shortly after wow <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Sorry, okay, I, feel like I, just I love it. So no, much. I am loving every single second of this. Okay, so I want to come back to understand a little bit more about the business and kind of what we can learn about business. Uh -huh. But you said something that I thought was amazing and I've kind of like obsessively uh, followed all of the coverage of both, uh, <laughs> both you and, and Garrett. And one of the terms that you use all the time is hashtag boss babe. Mm -hmm. And so can you unpack that a little bit? What does it mean to be hashtag boss babe? Who do you envision? In what ter terms and conditions is it okay to use that? Because sometimes yeah. people hear stuff that is cool. <laughs> like, you know, obviously I'm not going to be around here being like hashtag boss babe. Like, who is it envisioned for? What does it mean? And what's the spirit behind it? You know, so when I first decided to launch my business, I found this Instagram page and it was founded by, I don't know if you've heard of Alex Wolf. Mm -hmm. So she's a female entrepreneur. She started the Boss Babe movement. Got it. And she was posting quotes that kind of related to a businesswoman or a professional or an entrepreneur that just didn't look like your typical business person. So it was mostly catered to like women who wanted to own their 
you know, their feminine side and be themselves in their workplace and in their careers and be taken seriously. So a lot of it was really funny stuff. It was like, just because my heels are tall doesn't mean I don't know how to balance a chest. Like, it was like yeah. little funny things, uh-huh. but I found myself relating to them just because I just, it was funny. And so I followed them. And so she started the whole boss babe movement, but it became like this whole, I guess, community of women who were in business and who are running businesses and starting businesses and working for, you know, top level positions in other people's businesses. So it just became like a community that I found identity in. And so I started to kind of like be a part of it and join whatever podcasts and all mm-hmm. these things that they mm-hmm. were doing just because I felt there was people like me who wanted to start businesses, who are starting businesses, who are um, kind of relating on a more personal level. And so that's where I learn the term from so I didn't make it up got it, got <laughs> it's it, got kind it. of like that it. it came from a community and then from there now I just feel like it's become such a big thing because we're starting to realize that all women are boss babes yeah. <laughs> we're all bosses so I think everyone's kind of found identity in it now and now it's way beyond just like her little Instagram company it becomes like a whole movement Wow! but you know I love it because it's amazing to see other women and to create an environment where you feel heard and listened to and you can kind of talk to other people about the things you're going to as a woman in business so it's cool that's huge and with that what I hear you saying is that like boss babe as a movement something interesting that you said is that you you create what that means for you like Mm -hmm. to really the ownership of who you are and the ownership of of your space and your future and just kind of what you are doing and in charge of is the underscore of, of hashtag boss babe. I think there are so many, not I think, like it's a fact that there are so many cultural and systemic challenges that oftentimes don't or that make it hard or place barriers for women to embrace like mm-hmm. their fullness, their femininity in a lot of these spaces. Right. How did you, and especially as you were going through like boss babe in this community, how did you find that for yourself, like to really own that freedom? Like this is who I am and bringing my full femininity and my voice to the world of business. Mm-hmm. And how do you inspire and encourage other women to find their freedom in that as yeah. well? So, you know what, for me, it's more than just like my femininity. Cause I feel like that's what people accept most about me sometimes, you hmm. know, like not, I mean, when you see me, it's like, Oh, she's so girly and so cute, but just accepting my full person yeah. as a whole, because there's so many different elements that make up each of us and mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a very unique person and I've been told like I can be a little shy and my voice can be a little soft and mm-hmm. I can be you know I have my ways I'm introverted and I'm told that business owners should be this this and that mm-hmm. and and the womanhood thing is a big part of it too because you know I do a lot of business with men yeah. <laughs> and older men who are corporate and they don't know anything about nails at the same time <laughs> sure. so it's like I'm working with them trying to explain things and sometimes I feel like you know my voice isn't heard as loudly as the next person or whatever. But I feel like it took me a little time to really understand that I'm given my unique qualities because that's who I am. And I'm, and I am meant to do this no matter who I am. So it's like, I'm shy. Sometimes I can like be really nervous to speak in front of people. And I used to let that stop me from like saying yes to doing things and being featured. And you know, I used yeah. to be like, I don't know. I don't think I'm ready to be on TV. I don't think I can do it, <laughs> but you know, that's who I am. And this yeah. is like, the things about me that I feel like I used to think were like my worst qualities are the things that really make my business special. I think at the same time, because I have this really empathetic thing about me and I think it makes for great customer service, you know, like I, you know, like, and I have this thing where you're supposed to be mean, but I'm not really that mean of a person, but it's like, you know, being a woman and being a woman of color and business has taught me a lot about myself. And, you know, I've had to grow a little bit more of a backbone, but that's always been in me. That's always been who I am. Mm-hmm. People just may not see it from the outside looking in, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> How do you not get annoyed when you are talking to these older men who know nothing about nails, <laughs> who feel entitled to have an opinion and make a decision about how they um, work with you in your business. I know for a lot of people, that's an honest struggle that mm-hmm. they have already been through enough pain of people not understanding their experience. Mm-hmm. And then when you start to pursue your dream, you're forced to directly interact with people who, and for a lot of people, that's not only triggering a lot of pain, like it's also just uber frustrating. <laughs> and they're yeah. just like, no, <laughs> how do you not get annoyed when you're dealing with those rooms and those spaces? You know, I've just learned because 
really at the end of the day when it's your business you choose who you what you can do you tell them yes or no so like in this situation like it took me a while i used to overpromise because i felt pressured so in certain scenarios where we had corporate deals they'd be like we want this manicure in five minutes and we want to do 200 people in this amount of time and i'm just like I don't think we can, I don't think that's possible. How about we adjust it to do this and that? And I used to try and then it used to, the conclusion used to be something that's still not very doable, but better than what they offered at the beginning, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So I've learned. And then when it happens and you do it and it didn't turn out as they expected, you're like, I tried to tell you. So I think from those experiences of just doing it, I've learned to be like, this is what we do. If you want something else, you can go somewhere else because that's who offers that. So it just takes experiences because I'm not about to be the one to disappoint you, you know? So it's just like, that's kind of how I learned just by going through those experiences where I've learned that it hinders me to overpromise. It hinders me not to be honest about what we can and can't do and to say no when I need to say no because if I don't say no now, they're going to be upset later, you know? So I've learned that over time how to... Just put my foot down. <laughs> that is so dope. When I leave here today, I'm going to find someone random and I'm just going to tell them, this is what I do. And if you don't want that, you can find someone else. Like that is, that just, that just, man, that is huge. I like, listen, that is your homework assignment after you listen to this. Like just go to CVS right now and like buy a pack of gum and then like right before you pay for it, just be like, look, this is what I do. And if you don't want it, find someone else. And then, and then you just leave the and gum. Leave Oh man, that's so I love that, but that's so huge because we we grow up feeling like because you're new or because Mm. you don't have a million dollars or because you're not male or you're because you're a person of color or because whatever that might be, that somehow we don't get the opportunity to own that space to Mm. say, hey, like this is who I am. And really, and from I love the way you framed it, it's not like Hey, you go somewhere else because I'm the whatever. It's go somewhere else because I value what I do and I'm not mm-hmm. going to overpromise and under deliver according to the quality of what I know we can offer. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. that's huge. Last few. We have okay. unpacked a little bit about the business. Who's your clientele? Um, you talked a little bit about the modern woman. Mm-hmm. How, when you were building uh, Nails by Kovan, did you cater certain aspects of the business to meet them. So one of the things that you mentioned was that it's a mobile nail salon Mm -hmm. that we talked about, that it meets at places of work for at different hours. What are some of the other things that you did in the business model to cater to this idea of the modern woman who is on the go? So when we first launched, we were just kind of picking, you know, asking people where we should be and kind of like, when would you like to get your nails done most? Doing a lot of market research and trying to just play around with different spots. Um, we were out almost every day on the streets, just like trying to meet women where they are. But things sort of changed when one summer, the first summer, literally six six months into starting my business, and I was just starting to get like a role and get my clientele going, DSW Shoe Warehouse called me. And I got this, it was literally, I was sitting in my car behind the truck and there was people getting their nails done. And I answered and they wanted to rent us out for the summer and do like a tour. And so they were like, you're going to have to cancel what you have going on because we're going to rewrap the truck and we're going to put our logo on it. It's going to be like a big tour and we're going to, you know, pay you whatever it is that you want to be able to do this. And we want you to run it. So it's like your business, but just, I guess, labeled Mm -hmm. under them Mm because it's a special promotion that they're doing for their stores. So I had to make the decision then to kind of like stop going on the streets for a little while just for the summer to be able to accommodate them and I did it because it was just like it was just felt like you just can't pass that up like it's a huge company and it's the first huge company that wanted to work with me so I was just so excited and it was so fresh and it really got me on my feet financially as well as in getting my startup cost back and being able to like get going so after that tour was over that summer we started getting hit up by like tons of companies so we were doing e we were doing like we've done BuzzFeed and we were doing like all these offices. So the truck was like all over the place that it's really hard for us to commit to being at someone's office building mm-hmm. for three hours during their lunch hours when we had so many things going on. So I think we're still trying to figure out a better balance system because ever since then with the events, we've been like crazy booked. So sure. we start trying to like pop up here and there and just sort of like guys, we're still here, like pop up and come see us. But you know, people want consistent 
place to get their nails done. So we've been really booked with private events, but we're still serving the same people. It's just that the office will hire us so then they don't have to pay for it. So it's like they'll book us out for the day and then everyone in that office gets to get their nails done for free. So we're still servicing the woman, just it's being more sponsored by different companies. Absolutely. Um, and so we've started, uh, sort of started adjusting our business model a little bit. We have plans to do a second truck, <laughs> which is coming up. Not, not like anytime right now, but mm-hmm. it's coming in the um, near future. And we, w- once we do that, we'll have one truck that's out every day for the public and we'll have one truck that's strictly for private events. And we also started offering in-home services or in-office services. So, it's been like we have three major revenue streams now, which is the truck, obviously, the in-office services where we actually set up mini manicure bars inside. And it's so cute. It looks like a little mini salon. Yeah. So people love it. And then they can just come inside and get their nails done. And then we do the in-home services where we can literally send someone to you, similar to what I originally thought yeah. you know, with my app. So people love it. And, you know, we're trying to still, you know, we're a work in progress trying to figure out the accessibility aspect of the business but yeah. we're all servicing like no matter what revenue stream it's always the same market it's just different ways of reaching them absolutely <laughs> one of the things you've mentioned is the technicians that you use and mm-hmm. the whole thing for a lot of entrepreneurs labor scares them mm-hmm. because it's hard enough to get the money for the infrastructure and so a lot of people build their business and and it's just them which is oftentimes like how you start and it's just you mm-hmm. but for the business that you were building how did you grow into that point where it's not just you but you also like supervise the team that that makes this happen because i think that's a different level of entrepreneurship is when you start leading a team how do you yeah, get to that you point? know i had to jump in that into that from the beginning because mm-hmm. i don't do nails so <laughs> if we were going to do anything i had to hire someone <laughs> that was actually one of my big biggest challenges, you know, I still one of my biggest challenges to this day is building a team. There's no blueprint for it. You don't know how to do that if you've never done it before. Managing people. I mean, I've had my experiences through like a school job or things like that, but jumping into being CEO and leading a whole team and creating a culture of your own and creating rules and guidelines, especially when hiring people that are like your age or older, mm-hmm. it was really tough for me to figure out how to maneuver that. I feel like I'm at a point now where I, I've got a grasp on it, and, yeah. but you're right. That's a really difficult thing. And I feel like you will learn your leadership style as you go on. And, you know, as you experience it, you might go through a few bad apples and you're just like, Oh my goodness, what am I doing? Am I meant to be a leader? But you know, it's a part of the learning experience. Everyone has their own way yeah. to lead. So it was literally built by you search for the truck, found the truck. You understood the model and kind of then continued to do some market research to figure out where you would go and how. And then the next piece of it was having to figure out what you would call it. So I know everybody asks you this, so because I've read all of it. But for my listeners who are listening, how did you come up with the name? So Kovan is my great-grandmother, Emma Kovan's last name. So I was named after Emma. So my name's Emily. My mom named me after Emma. And she was literally the epitome of womanhood in my eyes. So I've always looked up to her. Everything about me, that that impulse that makes you buy a truck randomly or... I don't know. Gary might come in here. I might be um, moving the sofa. <laughs> like, I don't know, moving the bed. The whole house might be re- rearranged. I have this streak of independence in me that I know I got from my great-grandmother. And she was just, like, literally so fiercely independent. Like, she never let anyone stop her from doing anything that she wanted done. She would always tell me, why wait for someone to do tomorrow what you can do for yourself today? That was like always what she told me. That was her motto. I grew up with that embedded in my mind. So I've always been the person who was like, I got this. I can do it. I always understood that I can do hard things, <laughs> which is kind of like what I think I got from her, which is like the biggest gift. So when I was getting the truck and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. This is so crazy. And I'm laughing to myself and I'm like, this is such a Kovan thing to do. Like it just, that's just what came in my I mind. I'm like, this it. is such a Emma Kovan. Like I'm Emma Kovan in the flesh. What? <laughs> I'm like, I hope she's looking over me and helping me with this. Cause so it just like made sense to me. I didn't know what to name it. I didn't want anything corny. I wanted something that meant something to me. Kovan just like 
hit for some reason. It just felt right. And then even to this day, like I have it on the back of my truck is as in loving memory of Emma Colvon. And so every time we're going somewhere, it just like makes me so proud. And I just hope I make her proud. And, um, and yeah, so that's where my name came from. (laughs) Wow. So you have this truck, Mm -hmm. this dream of creativity, this problem that you're solving, a name and a vision behind it a purpose behind it, which is to serve people who are in that same space of the problem that you are of how can I get taken care of when this business model is literally not made for me and the life that I have to, that I'm responsible for living. Mm -hmm. And then you have the design and the whole nine. Mm -hmm. After all of that, how do you take care of you who is just Emily and not the entrepreneur? Like, as we talked before this, like my heart is for understanding people beyond what they do. And so Mm. as you have the immense responsibility that you're killing the game at, how do you take care of you in the process? You know, that is like a great question because I feel like a lot of people don't answer don't ask themselves them questions that question before they launch their business or start this big project and they don't account for themselves. And then you were taught like give it your all, your sleep when you're dead and all these things that you learned growing up. So I really struggled, you know, the first couple of years. I literally gave everything to my business and I felt it's just just been recently, I guess when my husband and I got married where I took some time off where I was just kind of like okay, this is my wedding. Nothing's more important than this is a once in a lifetime thing. If I have to pause these events, if I can't get anyone to step in for me, if I can't, you know, I'm going to have to take a little break. And so when I did that, I've had like the best time ever. I felt like myself again, I would say. So I feel like ever since then, I've been trying to incorporate me time into my schedule, incorporate just like self-care, which I know it's a buzzword right now, but it, it should be. It's so important to you know, focus on yourself because you can't be the best leader that you can be if you're not feeling good about yourself. So take the time. Like I literally never got my hair done. <laughs> like I would go, <laughs> I was like wearing buns every day when I still wear buns every day. <laughs> but, but you know, like I felt like I was taking the back burner to my business. So it's like, yeah, your business is thriving, but are you thriving? Do you feel good? Or do you feel healthy? Did you put on a lot of weight? Are you exercising? All those things that I had kind of like let go because I felt like oh, I'll do that when I get successful. You know, when everything's like, wow. when everything's good and I'm like rich and I'm living in the house of my dreams, then I'll take care of myself. But then I'm, you know, you have to, It that's very immature way of thinking. And it's just kind of like, you have to take care of yourself now because all you have is today. And you want to make sure that you're living your best life throughout the journey. So, yeah, I've learned how to really try to incorporate time with my family. You know, I would go so long where I can't, I couldn't go on a trip because I have all these events coming up. And, you know, I just don't feel comfortable leaving my business here. It's a hands-on 24-7 job. And there's part of some things you're going to have to sacrifice. But, you know, don't sacrifice the things that matter to you the most is what I would say. And yeah. I, it's so much easier said than done. Yeah. I just recently hired a little bit of help. And so I have my cousin actually moved into L.A. So I have her kind of helping me step in for me when I'm not able to be there so I can plan a trip in advance. Because usually I'd be like, I don't know if I can go because I don't know what's going to be going on during wow. that time. So, yeah, it's been a great change. And I would recommend people incorporating that from the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. As we come up on our time, we can't not. We've got to save it for the end because this is your space. But um, you mentioned a pretty dope thing that happened a year ago. You got married. And so <laughs> now in all of this, there's like yeah. uh, running a, an incredible business and changing the world. And now married life to a super dope brother if I Mm -hmm. just slide that out there (laughs) how has that been oh my gosh he's my partner in crime like I think everyone knows this who knows us so we really run everything together I'm never really alone in any of this and neither is he he runs his own business too so he's freelancing and it's so cool to have someone who really understands your vision even when no one else does and understands where you're going and also to give you that little bit of reality that you need here and there when you're throwing pity parties for yourself if things aren't working he's like well did you do that well then that's why it's not working you know he has (laughs) accountability yeah 
Yeah, it's just amazing. I I think it's the biggest blessing. I feel like we're totally meant to be together and live this life together and this journey. I'm so excited to see where it takes us together because we've really been, he's really was the one who nudged me in the direction of starting my business in the beginning. And he really has consistently been there throughout everything, my hardest times to my depressed times to the, you know, to the happy, joyful, oh my gosh, this is real times. Like, so it's been, it's been really amazing. It's so great to have someone that you love and loves you in return who's there for you. And we're all in, both of us. I help him too. Yeah. <laughs> just so you know. Yeah. And his brother can sing. We're going to have, we're going to spend some time with him in another episode, yeah. man. This dude was saying, and you just feel like he was transported. His voice is straight from Wakanda. Wakanda. On a whole another level. Um, this has been this has been huge this has been huge I want to kind of end where we began we had a moment before we started recording where we were talking about the notoriety that your business has has gotten and I was kind of reading off that list that I started with in your intro about all the people who have covered you and, and said something about you and I asked you the question like how did you get this level of like exposure notoriety you've gone from from pinterest to forbes <laughs> like that's pretty legit and you said something interesting like how did how did you get to this level of notoriety i just said that i didn't do anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it literally is just when you create something that's unique and fresh and creative and it's noteworthy then people start taking notes and they start you know, catching on and they want to learn more about it. So spend less time worrying about how to get notoriety and spend more time worrying about creating something that's worth getting the notoriety. <laughs> if I didn't pay for these mics myself, I would drop them. Just <laughs> drop the mic right after that. <laughs> As we close, you know what I like to do? I like to make sure at the end of each one of these where we have met someone who is building without a blueprint that we kind of take some life notes from them that we can put in our toolkit. One of the most interesting things, first of all, that Emily said to us that I want you to put in your toolkit is find someone who you can have access to listen to. Emily was able to have privy information that would set her up for her destiny because she was around conversations that showed her how to think. So if you don't know something, find someone who you can just sit and listen to them. Because what we miss is sometimes we feel like we always have to learn by doing. But if you can just get to the table or to the space where you can listen to how people talk about business, to how they talk about social justice, how they talk about faith, how they talk about family and psychology, then it will begin to impart things into you that you will never forget. So none of, we don't all get the opportunity to have that person grow up with us, but you can find someone who you get access to listen to. Emily taught us to start small that there is no need for all of that capital to start. Here's what I was changed by. She said, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, that means you started too late. I think that's huge. So one of the rules of not just entrepreneurship, but whatever you're building is don't wait until you have the whole how figured out to get started. Get started and you'll learn as opposed to if you're not embarrassed by those first few things you put out, that means that you waited too late to really jump in. Um, one of the things Emily taught us was start the idea even if you can't fully start the business yet. So she talked about even before the business, how can you start a way to figure out how do I just get those nail techs out there? So if you're looking at a business or a big building that you're working on, start with what can I be doing right now, right? Like the first step for Emily was, hey, we're gonna get this truck. Like I haven't graduated school yet. I don't know how all this is gonna work out, but we're gonna get this truck. She taught us keep your overhead as low as possible. Keep your personal money separate from your business money. One of the things that she shared with us is don't overpromise just because you feel pressured. One of the hardest things for us to do when we're building is we feel like we have to be because we're young, because we're just starting out, because when is another opportunity going to come like this? But she said, no, don't overpromise just because you feel pressured. One of the things that she also helped us understand is that we got to take care of ourselves. She said, I told myself I would take care of myself when I get successful. Yo, how many of us have said that, right? Like, oh, I will just over-invest while I'm dating and when I'm married, I'll take care of myself. I will over-invest while I'm working on this project and when it's done, I'll think about rest. And sometimes you have to think about what do I have today? This has been absolutely huge. And Emily, as we go, just talk to someone who's listening who is in the same position you were in five, six years ago, who is building without a blueprint, 
being an entrepreneur for this innovative idea that's attached to purpose. And if you could just say some parting words to them as if you were talking to your younger self and just encourage them on how they can keep building. I would say don't be afraid. Don't let anyone discourage you from starting. When you do start, it's not going to be easy, so don't expect it. Don't expect money to come flowing in. Don't expect a perfect scenario, but do expect a really, really rich learning experience where you're going to learn about yourself and you're going to learn so much about whatever business that you're in, so listen. Um, I would say listen to everything that you learn along the way and just don't give up. Keep adjusting, keep growing, keep being consistent, and you'll learn what the world needs you'll learn what you need and it'll all work out i am as always immensely inspired by you and i appreciate you for your time and, and i'm inspired by you back and i'm just so grateful that you had me on here so thank you <laughs> absolutely as always family with god as your foundation and purpose as your motivation keep building keep building wow 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 see i told you you would love it Definitely follow, definitely if you can, connect with with Emily. She is continuing to do amazing things as we speak. Again, that episode, that interview rather, was recorded last year. She has completely taken off in the four or five months since we originally sat down to have that conversation. So definitely connect with Emily if you get a chance. And uh, I just can't wait to continue to see what she does with life and with these opportunities that she has. And I think she is a really, really, really great example for us all. If you're listening, you know, it, sometimes it could be intimidating to hear from somebody like Professor Roseboro or some other folks who will feature this month because of where they are in life and how much they've achieved. And sometimes that distance between what you're listening to and where you are can actually be more more triggering than it is inspiring because you'd be like, man, I got a long way to go to get there. But I hope that in Emily, you see that you can start with what you have right now, where you are, start with an idea. Um, she's doing it and she is around our age, you know, at the time of the release of this episode. I'm 24. M is only a, a couple of years older than I, she and, and, uh, her husband Garrett. And so, I want you to know that that we can do this thing. If you are listening and maybe you've never heard of a young woman who just stepped out there and did it, I hope that Emily can serve as a point of inspiration for you. So I'm still excited over that and excited over uh, her future. Thank you again for listening. I want to hear from you. Email me at buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. I want to hear about what you thought about the episode. If if there are questions you want me to ask when I have these people on, you're like, hey, fam, like, you know, you're cool, but ask this. I would love to ask what you want to know when we're doing these kinds of interviews and stuff. Maybe you have somebody who you feel like should be featured on an episode. Somebody else who you know is totally building without a blueprint that should be featured and just hasn't had that shot yet. So email me at buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. Please follow me on social media uh, at Princeton Parker on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook at Princeton Speaks. I love it, love it, love it when you shoot me messages about uh, how this is helping you when you shout me out on the gram. I really, really, really love and appreciate that. So continue hanging with us. This series isn't done yet. And uh, I can't wait to connect with you next week. So take care, fam. As I always say, with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family.